What, you want me to tell them what happened? <laughs> well, two people got cramps and they're spreading. <laughs> we were all very hyper about it. And I have to go shower some people. I'll see you later. I wanted to be part of the world, but I didn't see anyone like me in it. I hear about a summer camp for the handicapped run by hippies. Somebody said, you probably will smoke dope with the counselors. And I'm like, sign me up. Hey there, Oscar fans. Welcome back to the OCC Podcast. This is your host, Jake. I hope everybody is staying safe and staying at home during this increasingly long quarantine. If you're anything like me, you're taking advantage of these uncertain times by going back and watching some movies that maybe you missed in the past. And then thanks to the increasingly fast pace of change around studio home releases, uh, there's actually a fair amount of new movies to watch as well. We're going to cover one of those today, and this being an Oscar podcast, let me say that this is a legitimate Oscar contender. In fact, this is a heavy Oscar favorite, I would say. It is a new documentary. It is out on Netflix as of Wednesday called Crip Cramp, A Disability Revolution. And look, it's a scary time. Some of you are streaming Outbreak and Contagion on repeat, um, but a lot of people just want to sit down and watch something that actually makes you feel good. And if that's you, Watch Crip Camp. This is uh, the story of how a summer camp for the disabled became the incubator for a generation of disability activism. This is a very good movie. It's incredibly thoughtfully made, and I would be shocked if we don't see it represented in the 2021 Oscars, whenever those come around and whatever that format looks like. Obviously, a lot of unknowns uh, at this stage, but today I'm going to cover Crip Camp. Um, if you watch this movie, if you have thoughts and want to get at me on Twitter, I um, would love to hear what you thought. But I'm going to start out with just a little bit of the Oscar context here. Um, so this is a movie directed by um, two directors. One is named Nicole Noonan. Uh, one is James Lebrecht. Noonan is a, has a few previous documentary directing credits, um, a number of producing credits. Her 2013 PBS film, uh, The Revolutionary Optimists, covered the slums in India she had a couple films back in 2006 that she directed. One was called The The Rape of Europa, which was basically about the damage to art and historical sites uh, in Europe from World War II. Um, and then uh, she had another documentary that followed three Cambodian refugees in Seattle. She's won various film festivals and industry awards, um, but no Academy Award nominations. James Lebrecht, the other co-director, in addition to co-directing this movie, is one of the subjects of the film. Uh, this is his first directing credit, uh, but he has decades worth of sound work. Uh, some of his most well-known movies, Extremists, was a Netflix end-of-life medical documentary short uh, that was nominated in the documentary short category a few years ago. Um, Battlefield Earth, the John Travolta film, is probably the most universally recognizable film on his filmography. Um, he also worked the sound on uh, Rape of Europa uh, with Nicole Noonan. So, no Oscar history for the filmmakers, but... This movie was picked up by Higher Ground. Now, you may be familiar with that as Barack and Michelle Obama's production company. This is their second documentary. Their first was American Factory, which won Best Documentary Feature at this last Academy Awards. And so just the attention and boost that this film will get from the association with the Obamas, I think, puts it squarely in the race. Now, that's not even taking into account the fact that this is a really good, well-made movie. The Obama's production company, Higher Ground, 
has a slate of films and series um, that will be distributed through Netflix. It's not all documentaries. Uh, American Factory was a documentary, and this is a documentary. I believe their next uh, release is going to be a narrative feature. Their aim is pretty broad. Uh, It's basically to highlight stories that will, quote, help people understand something they didn't before. I feel that that's the reason I watch a lot of movies. You know, whatever kind of latitude they've given themselves with a broad mandate, they're two for two now. American Factory was one of the the best movies of last year. I personally, I I was just astounded by Forsama, which was another documentary, um, and it's where I would have voted, but American Factory was also incredibly nuanced and thoughtful, uh, a really well-made film about globalization and and well worth uh, worthy of an award. This opened at Sundance um, and won an audience award. It was uh, the opening night film at Sundance, so it got a lot of attention there. It was nominated uh, for a grand jury prize. So when you combine kind of the festival success with the higher ground association and then what we'll get into now is that this is also a really really good film i highly expect that this will be at least shortlisted very likely nominated and perhaps win the documentary feature category uh at the next oscars so i'm going to transition now and uh get into my review uh and and just overall thoughts on crip camp so this is a movie that is divided into distinct parts and the first part is focused on a camp called Camp Jenid. This was a camp run by hippies in New York in the 70s for people with a range of disabilities, from polio to cerebral palsy. Um, they kind of talk about a hierarchy of disability at the time in the outside world, um, that where those are sort of the bookends of the range. In the outside world, the, the reason they talk about it like that is sort of a comparison of who was closest to quote-unquote normal. But the thing that was amazing about this camp is that there was no range like that. Everybody was normal. Everybody, I think there's a quote uh, by a character in the movie who says, everybody had something going on with their body. It just wasn't a big deal. You know, this was a time in society that was not like today. There were not broad accommodations for disabled people. In fact, they were often hidden away. Um, They were not, you know, treated as people to be integrated and included in society. And when they came to Camp Jenid, all of a sudden they got to do the things that that other kids, the quote-unquote normal kids, got to do. The goal was to give these disabled kids just a normal, fun summer and push them to take the kind of risks that give you the formative experiences that most teens are encouraged to have. And these disabled teens often weren't. It's a noble cause, and it's a nice time capsule. And there are some really funny and touching stories about the experience at the camp. Now, how they got this footage is really an amazing story. Chris Campbell over at Nonfix, it's a website that covers documentaries. He relays this uh, as part of an interview with uh, the directors, Newton and Liebrecht. They had been planning to tell this story. You know, due to what they had access to, they were going to do it through photographs. Um, they were starting to play around with what recreations could look like. And they came across basically an ad in the paper from way back from the time that this footage is from, relating to a, a hippie collective called the People's Theater Group that had gone to this camp and uh, they had filmed and captured uh, some of the activity at this camp. And all that they ended up using it for, like the only thing that came out of that uh, footage, 
was a short TV documentary um, about a crabs outbreak at the camp, which is depicted in the movie. But so they were able to, you know, kind of by tracking down the people involved in this group, get their hands on five hours of footage. And this is really, in a lot of ways, the lifeblood of the first part of the movie. This could easily be a nostalgic time capsule to just going to summer camp in the 70s uh, in general. And that's the point. There's time spent on who's dating who at the camp. Um, in general, there's just a lot of kids having a great summer doing sing-alongs, uh, going in the water. A great moment is the camp director who's being filmed. He's digging holes. And the, the videographers ask him, like, what, what are you doing? Why are you digging these holes? And he says, a lot of these kids are clumsy. So I just dig these holes because it makes them fall over and it's funny. And there's nothing cruel about this at all. It's, it's kind of the ultimate equality. Counselors treating campers the way counselors just treat campers, not the way that you'd think of counselors treating disabled campers or trying to, you know, kind of talk down. You know, this is a lot of what the kids are missing. There's another great moment from the camp where, you know, they're all sitting around. A bunch of the campers are sitting around and having a facilitated conversation about kind of what are some of the challenges that they face in the real world. There's a girl um, who is trying to communicate a thought. Due to the way that she speaks because of her disability, the videographer isn't able to understand what she's saying. And he asked the other campers um, if any of them understood. And another camper says, you know, I think what she's trying to say is that she just never gets any privacy. You know, as somebody who constantly has to be taken care of, um, whose, you know, parents dote over her because of her condition, um, she, you know, everybody wants privacy. Sometimes she just never gets that. Is that right? And she confirms that that's what, uh, that is what she's trying to say. It's really an amazing moment. Um, and, and so you just get some of these eye-opening moments um, in this first portion. And all this is really fun to watch. And it's, it, it's overlaid with kind of the summer songs of, of the era. But as the film moves into its next act, camp then becomes a springboard for what follows. And, and you, as the viewer, begin to understand kind of the significance of the experience and why... They spend so much time showing this camp and setting it up. What the remainder of the film follows is the disability rights movement through um, a fight for what was called Section 504 of the 1973 Rehabilitation Act, which kind of mandated some accommodations for disabled people, but ultimately didn't end up being enough. And then from there, follows it through the passing of the Americans um, with Disabilities Act, which was 30 years ago in 1990. This fight is tied back implicitly to the identity building experience from Camp Jenid, whose campers left each summer wishing the world outside camp resembled the world at camp. The leader of this movement, um, and who really kind of becomes the protagonist of, of the film, is a former Jenid counselor named Judith Human, who is captivating to watch what she does is she basically takes the expectation of what life could be that she learned at jenid out into the world and uses it to pioneer the disability rights movement um it's it's very thoughtfully constructed it doesn't make these conclusions for you but it shows you in a way that allows you to draw the conclusions yourself you know i'm 35 Many people my age and younger take for granted handicapped bathrooms, accessible ramps. It, it kind of seems unfathomable that these accommodations would be absent from the world. But the debates of 
the moment uh, that you see in this movie are easily transferable to any number of urgent needs today. How much will it cost to install elevators at all colleges and universities and public transit versus how many people will actually use it? It's kind of like a cold calculus of capitalism that's so systemized, it doesn't see how, how cold it actually is. And this film really shines a light on it, and it really just educates on something I think a lot of people don't, don't know about. It's not taught in school. If you didn't live through it, you, you may not know the story. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of value to this documentary, but it's not, it's not like eating your vegetables. I mean, it, you don't feel like you're sitting in class. It's fun. It's got magnetic characters who are just so lively and so unconstrained by conditions that they were born with, or in some cases were, you know, acquired later in life. There's one character who was um, hit by a car or hit by a truck, but, you know, they all come together, you know, for dis- disability rights. Um, so, you know, this is, it's a really strong film. You know, I, I do kind of define, as I think about movies every year, like the documentaries, I do sort of define them by their standout moments. And, you know, this one had a number of them. I mentioned um, the conversation at the camp where sort of one of the campers serves as an interpreter for another camper. That really stuck with me. It was just a very affirming moment. Um, there is, you know, I also mentioned the crabs breakout at the camp that is played for laughs um, for sure. There's also kind of a deeper poignancy there to talking about sex within a community that really was not sexualized. And another moment kind of along those lines, um, there's there's a character in this in this film, Denise Sher Jacobson, who has cerebral palsy, who's really one of the the bright spots um, in the film. She's just you know, the stories that she tells are are really funny. And she tells sort of this formative experience where she got gonorrhea. And she went to the hospital and she was diagnosed, they did, or not even diagnosed, they just removed her appendix um, without even checking and then did a, did a, saw it was a healthy appendix, checked her pelvis, realized she had gonorrhea. And she says that when she first realized she had gonorrhea, she was really proud because that's what everybody was doing in, in those days. They were running around getting STDs. But what she realized was that you know, they removed her appendix because they just didn't see her as somebody who could be sexually active. That kind of inspires her to go become a sex therapist um, and use it as her vocation. So that that's a really interesting story and I think a pretty powerful story as she's telling it. You know, once they are kind of in, in more of the disability rights fight in the movie, there's actually a 28-day sit-in at the San Francisco office of the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare in 1977 that really kind of turns the tide on this whole fight. But there are a number of moments from that. You know, the government kind of sends a surrogate um, to argue against the installation of these rights and, and basically make like a separate but equal case. And this surrogate ends up like locking himself in the closet. And then, you know, a sympathetic congressperson sort of drags them out and makes them face, face the protesters. You have... The Black Panthers kind of bringing in food um, to support the sit-in. You see sort of the shared sense of community uh, amongst a number of different groups that feel that they're underrepresented from, you know, there, there was an African-American counselor at Camp Janet who kind of saw in the way that the disabled campers were treated uh, in the outside world, sort of the way that he was treated in Alabama where he grew up. You just see a lot of through lines that are that are really well 
constructed. And then the way that they continue to tie this back to the camp too, you know, the protest leading up to the passage of the American Disabilities Act, you had wheelchair-bound people climbing the steps, like using their arms to hoist themselves up on the steps of the Capitol. And the film labels kind of how many of these people are alumni of the camp. So this is a really great documentary. You know, I certainly recommend everybody go watch it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the reaction so far. So it is not as of today on the Netflix top 10. I did see it on the trending now list finally late Sunday. I had to scroll over like three times, but at least it has cracked that list. A lot of the Twitter conversation, which uh, is no means a guarantee that this reflects the real world, but a lot of the conversation that I've seen on Twitter um, about this movie has been specifically within the disabled community. And while it's exciting that it resonates most directly with the group it represents, uh, the education it provides would, would really benefit a broader audience. Again, by today, starting to see a little bit more universal Twitter conversation, and I'm still hoping um, it'll get a bump with everybody staying home. For me, like, regardless of uh, the coronavirus and the quarantine and the fact that we're all watching more stuff, this was circled on my calendar as appointment viewing um, from the beginning of the year because, you know, the way that it performed at Sundance, the fact that it is a higher ground picture, um, and, and as somebody who follows the Oscars, you know, this is clearly a movie that is in the mix. And, you know, a lot of movies that are in the mix don't come out until later in the year. So the ones that kind of trickle out earlier than, you know, fall festival season, it sort of becomes an event. And so, um, you know, I was going to watch this regardless. You know, my again, my hope with everybody staying home is that this would get a bump. I think the challenge with this movie, you know, it's a lot of archival footage. It's certainly thoughtful. Um, when you compare it to something like Tiger King, it's less fantastical. It's important versus escapism, even though it really is feel-good and lighthearted. Um, but I don't know. This seems like a really good favorite for an Oscar nomination. And so maybe this gets more of a look later when if it notches that um, or if it starts to get more active buzz once people are paying more attention to award season. You know, maybe it gets its bump then. Um, or maybe it's still coming, you know, in the next few weeks. You know, Tiger King's only six episodes. People will finish that and then maybe look for something else to watch. And obviously, again, you know, we don't have Netflix viewing numbers. There is a viewing party um, that I've just I've seen through hashtags on Twitter that there's a viewing party planned for this Wednesday, April 1st, 7 p.m. Eastern under the hashtag Crip Camp Netflix. So that's hashtag Crip Camp Netflix. And so you, if you're interested in watching this, like even if if you if you're listening to this podcast and you think you might want to check out this movie, you know, I'd highly encourage you to, to join that. Um, get some active conversation around it as you're watching it. You know, this this would be a great community movie. I, I watched this just at home alone. But, you know, there's a lot of really funny stories and moments. And again, by and large, what's, what's most astounding about this story is that we don't know it. Or I didn't know it. As far as where it fits into the 2021 um, Oscar race. So it is early, but it's not that early. Um, in 2020... Nine of the 15 shortlist docs played at Sundance. So there's a chance that we kind of know the names of a lot of the movies um, that will be in the mix come fall already. This obviously, like I said, played Sundance, won an audience award. A couple other big movies um, that came out of Sundance that this would be competing with. 
Dick Johnson is Dead um, is a movie that won the Special Jury Award for Innovation in Nonfiction Storytelling. That's from Kirsten Johnson. She had a documentary called uh, Camera Person in 2015 that landed on a lot of the best of the decade lists. They kind of aggregated global footage that she collected through decades of documentary filmmaking. Mark and I talked about this documentary, Dick Johnson is Dead, a little bit on our uh, 2021 Oscar preview episode, which already probably has not aged well as a lot of the movies we called out um, have been pushed back and whatnot. But Dick Johnson is Dead deals with basically the end of her father's life. It had a lot of buzz leaving Sundance. It was picked up by Netflix. Um, As of yet, it has not been slated for a release date. Another one that was big out of Sundance that I also mentioned in that conversation with Mark is uh, Boys State. This won the U.S. Grand Jury Prize and covers kind of a mock political system that takes place annually in Texas. Um, by students. The buzz on it's that it's excellence. Um, A24 picked this up and I would expect to see it in the fall. Now, depending on how long the COVID situation uh, closes theaters, what happens in the Academy eligibility rules also, you know, this one could be pushed out on Apple TV via that new A24 Apple partnership. Um, But this is one that, uh, you know, is expected to be in the mix. Centro won the World Cinema Documentary Competition at Sundance. Um, It's sort of a look at what it's like to live in Cuba. Time is a movie um, that was picked up by Amazon after winning uh, the directing award for U.S. Documentary at Sundance that covers um, a wife fighting for the release of her imprisoned husband. And then a few others from Sundance. Um, Feels Good Man is about the internet meme Pepe the Frog and the creator of that design trying to kind of reclaim it back from the alt-right, which has adopted it. Uh, Welcome to Chechnya is about LGBTQ rights in Russia. Um, It was picked up by HBO. The Painter and the Thief was really well-received. It documents um, a specific friendship between an artist and a thief who steals their art. And the Mole Agent um, covers a man who goes undercover to a nursing home among others, you know, all these documentaries um, were highly praised out of Sundance. And, and you can expect someone will be in the mix for uh, this award. And then um, beyond Sundance, a movie called Gunda was purchased by Neon out of Berlin Film Festival. Obviously, Neon distributed Parasite, so people pay attention uh, now to sort of what they do on an international um, acquisition front. This is an animal documentary about a pig. It's executive produced by Joaquin Phoenix, um, and the vil- the filmmaker Victor Koskowski um, was shortlisted this past year for his documentary Aquarela, which was just about water in various forms, but it was cinematographically, cinematographically beautiful. And then a few others, um, Finding Ying Ying was a documentary about a family looking for their daughter um, who disappears when she comes to study in the U.S., Um, This had been set to screen at South by Southwest. Even though that festival was canceled, um, it still awarded prizes, and Finding Ying Ying won uh, the Special Jury Award for Documentary Feature. It was also going to screen at Tribeca. And then um, the last one that I have noted here is Father, Soldier, Son. Uh, That's another one that was picked up by Netflix and uh, was going to play Tribeca. It follows an American family over 10 years in the aftermath of war. So certainly there is some competition you know, but I think Crip Camp is a really solid bet to be shortlisted and probably nominated. Again, it's got the association with the Obamas, but just on its face, it's a really thoughtful, well-constructed documentary that tells an important story in a pretty enjoyable way. So, 
heavy recommendation for Crip Camp. Um, hope you guys get a chance to watch it. That's all for this week. I appreciate you tuning in. Um, I'm going to keep trying to do these once a week. Keep trying to do episodes with guests. This one I just covered on my own. But tweet me at CompletistCast on Twitter. Stay safe, everybody. And we will. Uh, I'll catch you next week. <laughs>